Welcome. I'm Brian Roten, senior reporter for HNN, and I'm joined today by Kelsey Fennerty, manager analytics at STR, and Sean Hennessy, CEO of Lodging Advisors and clinical associate professor at the Jonathan M. Tisch Center of Hospi Hospitality at NYU. We're here today to talk about the potential impact the new short-term rental regulations could have on hotel demand in New York City. Now, to get started, these new regulations, uh, the city adopted them uh, back in January of 22, but they went into effect this past September. And it has a, a bunch of different requirements, but one of the big things is it requires the hosts to register with the city in order for them to actually post their rental units on you know, these rental platforms like Airbnb or uh, Verbo. Uh, the platforms are also, the platforms themselves are supposed to verify with the city system that the hosts of the short-term rentals listing on their sites have registered with the city. So it's almost like a two-factor authentication there. Uh, there's also other, you know, pro prohibitions about where these rentals are allowed. Uh, they can't rent through the housing authority buildings or rent regulated buildings or, you know, buildings that prohibit them through leases or occupancy agreements. There's also others about, you know, requiring a host to be present during the stay and restricting to two guests at a time. So these are pretty restrictive uh, regulations compared to what hosts and these platforms were previously used to. So now that we've kind of got a lay of the land there, uh, let's kind of get an idea of what actually is going on in the hotel market there. So Kelsey, uh, to give us further context of what's going on in the hotel market there, can you share with us uh, you know, some of the, the, the data in, in uh, performance trends you've you know, taken a look at through STR for what's going on in the New York City hotel market currently? Yeah, of course. So currently things in New York are looking pretty good. The market has really come a long way over the last, uh, you know, 20 some odd years. It very consistently holds occupancy pretty high, a little more sensitive on the rate growth front though instead. So you see a lot of new supply coming in post GFC and that hasn't really affected occupancy, but it has been a little bit more difficult on rate. Post-COVID, we've had a couple of things going on. We've still not seen that occupancy come all the way back, although it is continuing to grow. But we have seen pretty good rate growth in New York as we have throughout the U.S., in part just because of, you know, the rising cost of living that we've had come through with all the inflation that we've had. And I guess the only other major point to make in New York specifically is the importance of events. It's a very, very high demand market to begin with, but then you put in all these major events. You know, we just ended September and there was New York Fashion Week. There was the UN's high level meetings week. There were, and you know, events and event offsets for the Jewish holidays for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, where performance fell in 2023, but then we had offsets and really strong growth over when it fell in 2022. So that's kind of a lot to consider for New York is that you just have such a high demand market with so much happening all the time that there's always going to be huge demand from both a business and leisure perspective. And you know, we, we've seen over the years with New York, as, as you mentioned, like its occupancy has, has generally remained, you know, not, you know, not including the pandemic, occupancy in New York has remained steady. Uh, 
just you know despite being a high demand market it always seems like it's just one of those markets that could always just absorb new supply and, and, and new demand because they just balance each other out so well uh, yeah I, I would just please. add that <laughs> jump in uh, so yeah in New York the the beauty of the city is that there's pretty close to an infinite number of people around the world whose dream is to take a trip to New York City. So it's it can always find the the guests there. You know, room rate has been weak, if you will, uh, pre the um, pre COVID for several years. Part of that was due to all the new hotels opening in the city. Part of it was that the vast majority of new hotels were select service, limited service types of properties. And we also saw a tremendous increase in the number of hotels in boroughs other than Manhattan. So those hotels in the outer boroughs would charge a lower room rate than for a comparable quality hotel in Manhattan. So a lot of those factors came into play. And I also think hoteliers recognized that occupancy was a better strategy because the New York is a, a more restrictive labor market, if you will. So it was harder for hoteliers to flex a lot of their expenses when uh, they might otherwise have a weak time period. So they've really made an effort to sell the last room every night, every day uh, in a way that may not be the same uh, uh, incentive in other markets. So, uh, I mean, Sean, you're in New York. You, I imagine, talk to New York hoteliers on a pretty regular basis. Uh, what have you heard from them? And what what is their feedback on these new regulations? Is it what they were hoping? You know, any kind of regulation would be. It. We've heard like we want you know, regulations to level the playing field. We want them to have the same safety requirements, fire, you know, code requirements and all that. Does this level the playing field in a way they hoped for? Well, I mean, the hotel uh, community was certainly uh, unhappy that Airbnb uh, came to some pro such prominence and they're happy that these these new regulations and the new, more importantly, the new, new initiatives on enforcement have come into play. Um, I, I think the idea that the hotel community wanted a level playing field very much took a back seat to the uh, fair housing people who felt that Airbnb was taking units away from hard worker, hardworking New Yorkers that needed a place to, uh, uh, an affordable place to live. So, um, so I think- seen last couple of years, particularly during the, the, the pandemic years, how big of an issue housing is, not just in New York, but many cities across the US. And and playing off of Kelsey's comments about things are always happening in New York, there's all kinds of things happening with regard to zoning and rent regulations and other things on the residential side. And New York City has had an almost crippling shortage of rental housing for decades now. So th this is nothing new. And uh, I suspect at the end of the day, you won't have a situation where now there's plenty of inexpensive rents available for anyone who wants them. So, I mean, 
the regulations have only been in effect for about a month or so. Uh, that's not enough time for us to really have any kind of clear idea of what effect they're going to have on hotel demand. Uh, Wired recently came out with a story about uh, what's going on with, you know, specifically about Airbnb showing a dramatic drop in the number of listings in New York on the Airbnb platform. Uh, only uh, less than 500 at the time had registered with the city that were there, uh, but they're also potentially moving to other platforms like Craigslist and Facebook and things like that. So, uh, I mean, just to kind of jump in, what do you guys think will be the actual impact both on short term rental units in the city and what a potential drop could mean for hotel demand in, in, in New York? Well, for hotel demand, I'll I'll touch that touch on that a little bit. In the immediate, like you said, Brian, it's a little early to see it in the data. To my understanding as well, if you booked an Airbnb prior to September 5th, but you could stay your stay date is before December 3rd, you can still have that stay, which means that anybody that kind of booked well ahead of time is still going to go to their Airbnb in New York over the next several months. And so we won't really have a true picture, I don't think, until you know, December and into 2024. So in the very short term, I've looked at this quite a number of ways. And we also have Isaac Colazzo working with Jamie Lane at AirDNA to look at this in more detail as well. And they'll have something out, you know, in a few weeks, I'm sure. So I'm not seeing anything today. Maybe a little pressure on rates. I would expect more pressure on rate in the long term than demand, just because you know, when we look, I and I kind of pulled this to check, extended stay properties in New York are only about 5% of the sample. And when you think about who's staying in an Airbnb and what would the comparable hotel room look like, it's probably more an extended stay room because you probably want a little more room. So if you think of extended stay as only 5% of the total sample, you have to wonder how many of those people staying in Airbnbs were really actually considering staying in a hotel to begin with. So was there a lot of demand? But even at the same time, you know, that'll probably help allow some pricing power into the city if there is more demand, if there are more people looking for a place to stay. And that that pricing power, I, I really believe, is on the horizon, in part because of Airbnb, in part because it appears that we have likely a, a relatively long term situation where a number of hotels are out of the system because they are being used for migrant housing. And we also have had a change in the city's approval regulations for new hotels such that I believe there will be relatively few new projects entering the pipeline going forward. We still have an overhang of lots of new hotels opening around town, but at some point that will diminish and then you'll really see that um, there won't be much incentive to build new hotels until there's a significant step up in revenue and profitability in order to justify the financial economics of these projects. And as to Airbnb and others, and throughout this conversation, I'll generally use Airbnb as an, a, you know, a generic term for short-term rentals. I always think it's probably funny for you guys that it's STR is the is the acronym that people use for short-term rentals. Um, I, I think they'll see 
a dramatic drop. I mean, on the order of 90% or more uh, of their units and, and typical inventory will disappear from the city. All of the short-term projects are largely out of the way. And I think a lot of uh, hosts will be hesitant to move to a plus 30-day schedule because in New York City, when you stay for 30 days or longer, you essentially gain all the rights of a tenant where the landlord can only raise the rates uh, a certain amount per year subject to the approval of the rent guideline board and you can't remove them without a court order. So there's, uh, it, it's a whole different type of ball game when you move to that longer stay rental market. And I think there's gonna be relatively few people that that move in that direction. Not to mention from the guest point of view, guests who wanted to accommodate a large family, uh, guests who wanted a kitchen for for dietary needs and so forth, a lot of those guests will, um, you know, will not be happy with hotel choices given what they're looking for. So I suspect you might see some increased demand for Airbnb units in northern New Jersey and maybe even out to Nassau County, I think we might see some demand pushed out uh, because people still want to come to New York, but they need to have the product that works for them. Uh, I mean, the the concept of, uh, you know, renting out someone's apartment, you know, or even just, you know, couch surfing, that's, that's not new. That wasn't something invented by Airbnb, but it's something that certainly made it more available and, and made it feel, I imagine, safer for more travelers than someone who's, you know, maybe they would they'd be the the kind who would, you know, stay at a hostel backpacking through Europe or something like that. So, you know, to back to that that article by Wired, uh, you know, a lot of these listings perhaps moving to other platforms where they can perhaps go under the uh, the radar a bit. I mean. Sean, what do you th you think just in terms of, you know, if you're a host, you know, you're potentially losing out on a significant, you know, amount of income. How many of these units do you think are going to, you know, move to something like Craigslist or or, you know, some other social media platform where they don't they they can maybe escape the the view of having to to register and just kind of sneak through. I think there'll be some of that, but I don't think it will start to approximate what was the pre-regulatory state in New York City because the fines associated with not being registered with the city are pretty punitive. So you don't want to get caught. Uh, on the other hand, I believe that the city's enforcement of these regulations is going to be probably not that strong, at least for the near term. So that's a uh, another deterrent, if you will, to um, to immediately closing down a lot of the supply. So we will see um, you know a significant drop in supply and some people are moving to other platforms. But I think we we might see uh, the inverse of that where perhaps some Airbnb takes an initiative to try to sign up more hotels to use its reservation system. And we've already seen that in New York City with some hotels in Brooklyn, 
because Airbnb has relatively lower commissions than some of the hotel franchises. And for independent properties, uh, it might make sense. And it might be an angle that Airbnb tries to exploit as a way to make up for some of its lost revenue. I wouldn't be surprised. And I think Airbnb is also playing off that, giving way to this, it's helped create this hybrid you know, the hybrid short-term rental slash hotel, those companies that really straddle the line, places like a Sonder or a Bode that when we've spoken to them in the past, we've asked them, hey, what are you? And they say, you tell us, what do, what do you want us to be? <laughs> so a lot of them, you know, they're corporate owned, they're corporate managed, they're not a landlord, they're, you know, a, a company on their own right. And I, I checked, you know, Sonder pretty much said we run as a hotel. We we aren't going to have any problems with these regulations. So I think you could see increased demand for them and for companies like that to be promoted more on Airbnb's platform as well, because they're not really a short-term rental, but also not exactly a hotel. And and there is a, a, a physical uh, aspect to this in that hotels in New York are required to be uh, sprinklered. And all of the Sonder properties are buildings that are compliant with that code, whereas residential buildings are not required to be sprinklered on the assumption that people live there. They know where the exits are and it's not a big deal and it would be prohibitively expensive to try and force all of those buildings to now install sprinklers. So, so. Uh, uh, and uh, as another example of a potential angle Airbnb might take is to try to work with developers to create purpose-made buildings that can meet uh, the needs of Airbnb and the city regulations and still generate a profit. And you know, when Airbnb started, it was not a, a real business opportunity for people. It was a way to defray some of the costs of ownership. But because it was so popular and New York is such a high-priced market, people found they could make a business out of it, you know, owning units and renting them out and so forth. And so I think that um, you know, where there continues to be consumer demand, you might see ways that people will try to find uh, a solution to meet that consumer demand. So to an earlier point, each of you touched on just looking at the the type of guests who would stay at you know a short term you know, rental. Uh, maybe they're there for a longer stay. Maybe they want more space. They need some kind of kitchen area that's more than just a mini fridge in a hotel. You know, is you know, you Kelsey, you had mentioned extended stay perhaps being the thing that matches more with that. Uh, do you think that we're going to see perhaps more extended stay demand then? It, maybe even just in the, the, the short term, I mean, once we get past the uh, the end of the year, do you think we could that could translate to more extended stay demand? Uh, we've seen just generally a lot of interest in that segment of the industry, both in terms of developers and brands coming out with new extended stay brands. Could this, you know, cause the, I think you said what, 5% supply uh, in New York City? Do, could that, yeah. could, that ex, could, we, could that grow then, you think? 
Uh, I, I think the development piece is going to be more in line with what Sean said, where what's in construction now is, is going to come to fruition, and then you're going to see that slowdown due to the regulations. But in terms of demand, I think that's probably extended stay, and then maybe the select service, or more even like mid-scale economy budget would be where you'd see increased demand. Because speaking to your point, Brian, is you know who the typical guest is, is a luxury hotel guest really going back and forth between an Airbnb and a luxury hotel? Probably not. But if you're looking to come to New York City and you want to spend a week or even a few days and you're trying to be a little more budget conscious, maybe, you know, until now, Airbnb was something that you looked at and, you know, an outer lying area or because you wanted that kitchen or that living room. And so I think, yes, the extended stay hotels, as well as the more budget-friendly ones are would see more benefit than your high-end luxury upper upscale hotels. And I would just add, and, and this is largely anecdotal, so uh, an analyst like Kelsey will probably be horrified by my analysis here, but you know, in New York City, the cost of developing hotels is so great, uh, any real estate, but hotels as well, that the trend has been to build the smallest room possible for many, many years. And in fact, if you look at the extended stay properties in New York City, they are generally smaller units than the prototypical brand standards for those types of properties. Uh, and many of the developers have chosen the extended stay brands in New York because it's a less crowded distribution channel than some of the more popular select service. So it's it's just an alternative marketing approach rather than a dedicated segment that is, um, you know, something that's going to grow. But in, in my experience, if you look at room rates per square foot of space given, the hotels that offer the smallest rooms are the ones that have the highest rate per square foot. And that generally goes down up until the point where you get to the 15 most super luxury hotels in New York, where they can get the kind of rates that, that justify giving guests that much space. Now, uh, you know, ahead of this, I asked each of you to do a little bit of homework and come up with a question for, uh, for the other. So, uh, you know, flip a coin. Who wants to go first and and, and ask the uh, the other question? Um, Kelsey, why don't you ask Sean something? I'll ask. And I, we did kind of cover this, but honestly, in, in looking at this data, and I knew New York was, you know, a pretty unique and very high demand market. But looking at the data, you know, do hoteliers, I guess you said, you know, they're happy. And I think it's fair that they want to be on a level playing field with Airbnbs and short-term rentals, but do they really expect a ton of change in their operating, whether that be their rate-setting strategy or their actual demand due to this regulation? Yeah, I, I don't think you'll, you'll see a big impact <clears throat> or certainly an impact that you can isolate from all the other impacts that are going on. I mean, you add to everything we've mentioned so far that for many uh, places around the world, international travel is just opening up now. So we're we're starting to see that uh, improving in the market. We we may get casino gambling in New York City. Um, we already have pretty much legalized marijuana. So any kind of sin you want, we're we're approaching Las Vegas and in, <laughs> in how uh, how we cater to the the world's various needs. Um, so I don't. 
and 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 the inflation issue is another one that plays into that as well. So uh, I don't think you'll see a big change because it's not as if the hoteliers have this um, relatively low utilization, relatively low occupancy, such that they are looking at opportunities to market their unused inventory. The the unused inventory is relatively small in New York compared to most markets around the country. And the other thing that comes to my mind, and this is just anecdotal, is that, you know, of all the revenue managers in the world, a lot of the best ones are in New York City and have been there because it's been such a high value market for most of the hotels. So we're pretty sophisticated already. So I don't think we'll see a whole lot of change uh, in terms of their approach or or hoteliers expecting that they can get, you know, another X percent uh, based on the change in these regulations. Certainly to the extent now I talk to them as they're setting their 2024 budgets, that's not a, a separate line item, if you will, in terms of what they're expecting. Okay. And I had... <laughs> I had asked uh, Kelsey through the extension of the uh, family of companies that you're part of now, whether you're, if you've had a chance to speak to the residential people, whether they will expect any sort of benefit that's that's discernible in the numbers, because I just think New York is such a supply constrained market now. You know, when you hear the mayor talk the last two administrations here in New York, they've said the only way we can create more rental affordable rental housing is to increase zoning so people can go higher to go more vertical because we can't go horizontal. But um, so my question was on not only on the hotel side, but on the residential side, do you think there'll be an impact that we can track anytime soon? I don't think in the near future. I think probably with the CRE and with, you know, multifamily and things like that, it'll take even longer than hotels because you have the lease to think about. But as those leases roll over and into next year, I, yeah, I think you could definitely see some impact to those segments as, you know, maybe the shorter term, short terminal landlords, you know, do I want to get out? Do it? What do I sell it? What do we do? Uh, that's kind of going to be a big question for next year. I think the hotel, you would see the impact sooner just because it's that nightly basis. And so the people that need an immediate, hey, I'm coming to the city for two nights, they're going to have to find somewhere to go sooner than the landlord with a unit that was a short-term rental and now he's not sure what to do with it. Yeah, I would add, and maybe you've seen this in the press as well, that there's a group that's emerged with the acronym ROAR that are people that largely own two family homes out in Brooklyn and Queens that have said, you know, we, and I think rightly, we were not the intended target when these regulations came <laughs> out and yeah. the city has used a relatively blunt instrument to regulate the entire market and they're pitching that they should be excluded somehow. Frankly, I think there's, there's little near-term prospects for a change in the regulations just because the city's been working on this for ages and it's taken a long time to come into play. So, and I do worry, frankly, a little bit just as a human 
that there are people in New York that their kids have grown or they have um, you know, a space that they can use through Airbnb, but now they're prohibited. And you know maybe it makes staying in New York unaffordable for them. So you might lose you know, a aspiring artist or dancer uh, to someone who can afford to pay a much higher rent for a space to occupy themselves. And that's likely to be, you know, an investment banker or a lawyer, or, you know, more of the corporate type in New York, which might change the character of the city a little bit. But um, but I think overall, the, these numbers are not huge numbers in terms of the total rental market, the total hotel market. So the impact is not going to be dramatic that way. Well, I think that pretty well covers everything here, uh, you know, as far as the uh, the information we have available so far. But any final thoughts that either of you would like to share before we uh, we close out here? Not from my side. I thought we covered a lot of ground in the time that we had. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't think I have much more to add to this. I'm I'm yeah. excited to see where it goes and how the next few months take us because we didn't get that big gotcha moment on September 6th once things went into effect. But, you know, I do think down the line, hopefully we'll start to see a little more movement we can point to. Yeah, really curious to see what uh, what uh, what Isaac is, is able to come up with in his work with, uh, with AirDNA. I think it's just going to be really interesting, uh, honestly, either way. If there's a big impact or there's or there's not, I think either I think would be really interesting for us to see and, and to really digest. Definitely. So, thank you both very much and uh, stick with the uh, hotel news now for further coverage of this and other topics in hospitality. I'm Devon Reed. I'm Omari Head. And I'm Chris Henry. We're the hosts of the Next Gen and Lodging podcast on the Hotel News Now Podcast Network. It's a monthly show in which we interview a new generation of hoteliers to get their insights into a variety of disciplines and topics, from finance to food and beverage and hotel operations. Listen to us on Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This interview was conducted on October 18th. It was recorded and edited by Brian Roten.